I just literally buy something because I love it and keep the prices as, as close to what I think it's worth as possible so that people can have these things in the home. You know, I don't want them to be like museum relics that are just so unattainable, you know, that they're just lovely to look at, but you couldn't possibly ever afford it. I want people to go, I love that and I can afford it and I'm going to have it. And then it brings joy, joy to somebody, doesn't it? Welcome to House Guest with me, Carol Annett, Interiors Editor at Country and Townhouse magazine. Here I chat to those clever creatives behind the houses, hotels and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. Guests include interior designers and architects, as well as celebrities dipping their toe into the world of decorating. My house guest today is Karen Barlow of the Old Potato Store, an antiques, vintage and reclaimed salvage business located in an old Victorian building once used by the Local Allotment Society in Leafy, Manchester. Karen, hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for asking me to join you. I'm delighted. I'm absolutely obsessed by your Instagram. Is it at Old Potato Store? It's at the Old Potato Store on Instagram. And that sort of got me venturing to see your website And I love the idea that you sort of started out as an interior designer and a stylist. And I guess that's still sort of going on in the background as and when the jobs come in. But you've created this fantastic business just because of your very clever eye for sort of finding the things that we are going to covet and and we're going to want. Um, So tell us a little bit about your background and how the old potato store came about. And I love the name, by the way. It's just, it reminds me of that. What was the, um, that movie, the, the um, old, something about the potato society. Yes. I know the one you mean. It's set in Ireland, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Like a 1940s sort of period. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it actually became, the name became about because of the building. Obviously it was owned by the local allotment society. Um, so it just seemed a natural uh, fit. And I'd just been to New York a few months before and there was quite a few really cool bars and restaurants called things like The Butcher's Wife. And I just thought, yeah, it needs to be something quite memorable. Um, so that's where that came from. But yeah, I am a stylist and that has informed my business, certainly. But I've always been into antiques. I've always been around antiques from being a child. My Dad used to have a side hustle business, as we call it now, repairing old clocks and watches for antique dealers. So our house was just always full of grandfather clocks and cuckoo clocks. And my mum and dad used to go to antique fairs. So um, I was dragged along with them as a child. So it's always been something I've been interested in. And we lived in um, an Edwardian house in the 70s that had not been touched um, since pre-war. So we had like open fireplaces and a a walk-in pantry. And I've always loved that aesthetic. It's just always been in in my blood, I suppose. And then I bought my first house with my husband and we, all our friends, it's 1989, they were all shopping at Ikea and Habitat. And we were going to car boot sales and we were going to big antique fairs and buying things and there was a free newspaper called The Loot where you could buy objects quite cheaply. So we were decorating our house like that way back when. So it's, it's always been in my blood. And what 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 was the first what were the first sort of things that you started to look at that really caught your eye? Um, well, I think going back to when we bought this house uh, that we're in now, which was twenty five years ago, and um, we bought it as two flats. And um, we wanted to turn it back into a Victorian family house. 
And we were really interested in um, companies that were dealing in salvage as well as antiques. So retrovation, uh, not retrovation, sorry, Retruvius in London and Bailey's Home Store were really on our radar. And we've, we found it very interesting how they used salvage and repurposed it in many ways, you know, to make kitchen units out of old floorboards um, and lab worktops, you know, for kitchen worktops. So we um, took that aesthetic and started renovating our house using salvage. So as we were visiting salvage yards, we were also picking up antiques as well. Um, so again, the house that we live in now is practically rebuilt and refurnished from um, antique fairs and salvage yards. This may be a really stupid question, but what's the difference between vintage and antique? Vintage is something that's probably from about 1940 onwards to maybe 1980. It's quite a short uh, period of time. An antique, this is how I understand it. I'm, I'm not an antiques expert. I buy decorative antiques with a stylist side. But antique, as I see it, is anything sort of 1940s going backwards. Anything, well, probably anything earlier than that, actually. Anything that's 100 years old or more is an antique. So, yeah, 1920s and backwards. So let's get into the nitty gritty. So if we call it crap versus covert, because I go to a car boot sale and I come back with a load of rubbish and it doesn't look half so appealing when I've kind of got it home. What is it that you look for in particular that you kind of, either if, you know, there are lots of people that maybe want to make a little bit of money out of going to, you know, finding little treasures or fill the car with stuff from the attic and go down and see what sells. What is it that you look for? Um, I think when I first started the old potato store, I was definitely looking for small decorative items um, that could be used as props. I was definitely looking at it from a photographic point of view. Yeah, I was looking a lot at magazines and I was very drawn to, um, at the time when I started the business about six years ago, we were very inspired by um, Scandinavian interiors, which were predominantly white. But I was noticing, particularly in a lot of magazines I was reading, and particularly um, in Australia, where they also have these white interiors, that they were also using really sort of beautiful wabi-sabi, shall we say, sort of shabby wooden pieces or baskets, anything that had a beautiful sort of worn patina or a beautiful texture. And I was very influenced by a shop in Hove at the time, which is sadly now closed, called Ajiji. And they were sort of known for buying very weathered wooden pieces. So that kind of definitely informed what I was looking for then. And I still look for those items now, but everything was very small and decorative and postable, more, more crucially postable, because I was still working a lot then as a stylist and I didn't have a lot of time um, to be organising couriers, to pick up furniture. It had to be anything that could go in a box and be posted out. As the business has progressed and I've taken one foot out of the styling pool, shall we say, and put one foot more into my business. I really want to grow this business. I started sort of buying more smaller pieces of furniture. So things that could still possibly be posted out, but small chairs, small stools, small occasional tables. I always look for things that have got a beautiful patina, that have got age to them. They've not been modified or modernised in any way or messed about with in any way. They're very true and honest I also look for, it doesn't have to be so much good quality 
the piece has to be a good quality piece in the first place. It doesn't have to be in immaculate condition, but it has to be well made. And uh, yeah, I also look for things that have just got beautiful texture. I'm always, I can't stop looking with my photographic eyes. So anything that's got beautiful texture, I love paintings as well. I'm just, I love art. I kind of did a small grand tour of Europe when I was in my twenties with my husband and we just visited every sort of art gallery in Europe. And um, I just love beautiful paintings, um, which are very subjective. So not necessarily what everybody will love, but I do buy with my heart very much so. Um, and I just sort of, I just always think if I like it, there's bound to be another person out there that likes it, you know, so yeah. And what a little, I, I don't want to ask you too many of your secrets, but can you give us a few hints and tips about the, the fairs, you know, that should be sort of high on your list, whether you you want to sell stuff yourself or whether you're looking to buy? Well, my personal favourite fair is at Newark, um, which is in Nottingham. It's run by IACF Fairs, and they have quite a few fairs around the country. They have one in Ardingly, um, they have Newark, and they have several others. If you go onto the website, there's a calendar of events and you'll be able to have a look at all the dates and the different venues. Newark is enormous. I think there's two and a half thousand dealers there. It's on every other month. Yeah, it's enormous. It's on every other month. And the dealers come from Europe, um, Hungary, Belgium, France, Holland. So it's just amazing. You've got to get there early. It's it, The gates open at nine o'clock on the trade day, which is the Thursday. And it's, it's a cue to get in, so get there promptly. And um, there's also um, Arthur Swallow Fairs, which are now called AS Fairs, and they do Lincolnshire Showground. I think that's every other month. And they also run a one-day fair at Cheshire Showground, which is from March, I think it starts, till October. And that's fantastic. I mean, that's um, antique dealers. And then just people turning up, doing house clearances. But some there's some amazing stuff there. I've had some fantastic finds from that fair so and um, there's also one at Weatherby Racecourse I mean they're all over the country the best place to look is um, Antiques Atlas which is a website and that will tell you on any given day what fair is on in various regions around the country so yeah that's that's the place to look. And what about the way that you photograph things on your on your Instagram, I mean, uh, presumably that's why it's been so successful is is because everything looks so appealing. What's the sort of canny ways of creating the selling platform, if you like? Yeah, um, well, funnily enough, you should mention that. I've actually um, collaborated with a friend of mine a couple of years ago who's a photographer, and we actually run an online product photography and styling course for people oh, with their do own... do you? Yeah, we do, because... I'm not sure if Roberta, my friend, got the same amount of inquiries that I used to get, but I was constantly getting DMs from people who had small businesses or other antique dealers asking how I take my photographs and what editing apps I use and what camera I've got and what phone I've got if I use a phone camera. So during lockdown, we got our heads together and we wrote a course, which is an online course, and it's been really successful. So without giving too much away, that course is open and available to buy. If anybody wants to go onto Roberta's website, um, she trades under the name Hunt the Pearl. So the details of her course are on that website. Hunt, um, Hunt the Pearl. Hunt, H-U-N-T, the Pearl, as oh, in, cool. yeah, jewellery. <laughs> Yeah, so, but what I would say, the most common thing that I see with people's photography is they've just simply not cleaned the lens on the back of their 
homecoming. <laughs> you say it. Is it really? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that. That's it. so funny. Yeah, it just looks like there's a park in the building or, you know, over yeah. or grease over the lens. It's, it's just the simplest little thing, you know, that you just literally clean the lens before you take the photograph. Obviously, there's, like I said, there's a lot more I could go into, but that's kind of a different subject, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. that's brilliant. Hunt the pearl. Thank you very much. That is um, really useful to know. But it's not just that. It's the way that there's a sort of vintage feel to the whole um, whole site. And it's... And things are photographed in a similar style, if you like. I mean, is that is that all part of what you try and do? There's a there's a theme. Definitely. I think working as a stylist and working for lots of other brands, obviously every brand has its own brand identity, doesn't it? So, you know, when you see some fashion photographs from Toast, you know instantly it's Toast, don't you? They just have a look and a feel and a brand identity. So I was very aware of that when creating Hunt, um, Hunt the Pearl, I nearly said that, when, when I was creating <laughs> the old potato store. Um, yeah, I was really aware of that. And I use, uh, I have specific backgrounds in my building. So I, I do all my photography in my studio building, which is the old potato store. And I have three different backgrounds and I just rotate the photographs around those backgrounds. And then I have um, a preview app before I post anything on Instagram. I have an app and it's called Preview. And you can literally drop your photographs into it and move them around so that you get the look and feel of how it's going to look when you actually post it on your Instagram. You can actually curate your grid before you actually post it live. So I'm quite conscious that I've got, you know, sort of a certain amount of photographs on a dark background, a certain amount on a light background, a certain amount on a wood background, and keep I keep it consistent. And have you noticed um, sort of trends in particular things? I mean, are we still buying weathered wooden bowls and and breadboards, or has it moved on from there? Or little side tables, or are, are there things that literally just fly as soon as you put them on that you just know are going to be winners? I think there's always going to be the trend for well-made and simple items, like you said, breadboards and dough bowls and pieces of artwork. But I've noticed that there's definitely a renewed interest in brown furniture. And yeah, definitely. And I saw this a couple of years ago, all the Japanese buyers were at the fairs buying all the brown furniture that nobody else wanted. And I've seen it cropping up now on interior designers posts, you know, within their work that, you know, people like Beata Humane and um, Ben Pentreath and Luke Edward Hall, you know, they're very sort of influential in sort of inspiring people to use antiques and almost that, that modern country house look is definitely back on trend and that grand millennial style as they're calling it which is very 80s isn't it you know sort of pattern on pattern and lots of colour and frills around chairs you know and frills around the bottom of sofas so I think that country house style is definitely becoming much more popular than maybe modern rustic yeah and I started buying those sorts of pieces so little maybe Anglo-Indian tables that you would get in an old country house, you know, from back in the day when people were living in India or they brought pieces back from Burma, those sorts of little side tables. And And I suppose also that's where the rattan has come in as well, hasn't it? You know, there's a lot more companies now selling um, rattan furniture. Yeah, the rattan furniture is slightly more vintage, isn't it? I'd say that's definitely more sort of 50s, a bit sort of tiki bar sort of style, isn't it? 
And that is very, very on trend, as you say, you know, but um, and I think the this sort of millennial generation are mixing it all up, aren't they, in a really interesting way. So they, they're using mid-century with country house style, with a bit of chintz thrown in. Um, and obviously we've seen a big sort of interesting bobbin style furniture, haven't we? And I, I've been buying quite a lot of that over the last few years, but I've noticed the high street have picked up on it now. So Marks and Spencers are doing a range, aren't they? I noticed a little bobbin side tables and bedside cabinets. So, yeah, I think that's that's a very big trend that we'll probably just see grow and grow. And that's definitely the way I'm looking at the moment in those, you know, those pieces. How much of this was sort of driven by the need for sustainability? Is, is that kind of close to your heart? I mean, I, I love the way you describe the things as time-worn treasures for the home. You know, I think that has a lovely sort of romanticism about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're avoiding buying new new which is which is what we should be doing it's what we should be teaching um our children to do to you know to appreciate older pieces of furniture and and not have this kind of throwaway culture definitely sustainability has always been at the core of everything that i buy for our house the clothes that i buy the you know even the skincare i buy everything is informed by that i think like you said it's so important isn't it and i think as well that's why it's been such a you know important trend for the millennial generation I think they're very aware of the environment aren't they and you know they they want to surround themselves with things that are nostalgic and it's it's definitely been driven by you know the cottage core trend and you know that sort of feeling of like wanting to have a heritage piece that you can maybe hand down to your children and avoid things going into landfill and the, and the good thing about buying antiques is as well, if you decide you don't want a piece anymore, you want to swap it out for something else, you can always sell it on. You know, it's never going to lose value, is it? It's always going to retain its value or even increase in value, you know, like a vintage car or, you know, it's, it's just a very savvy way of shopping, isn't it, really? So tell me what, have you got any uh, more plans for the old potato store? Have you got, are you, I mean, you're up to, I think you've got about 25,000 followers. I mean, it's going pretty well, isn't it? It's going really well, yeah. Um, I think it's just keeping that momentum up, isn't it? That that's that's my main goal. It's just keeping the consistency of the products, which is getting more and more difficult, to be honest, because because of Brexit, we're not getting the dealers coming over from Europe as much as we used to, and um, so that the the hunting grounds are a bit thinner on the ground in the UK, which probably means I'm going to have to start going overseas a bit more to to buy which will mean that I'll have to do less styling. That's kind of part of the plan, really, of pairing back the styling to sort of focus more on the old potato store. But that's the plan, really, just to keep the the quality consistent and keep the items interesting and changing all the time. And not I don't want people to ever go on my website or my Instagram page and just think, oh, another doughbell or, oh, another breadboard, even though that will be the staple that will always appear. I want to keep people's interest there as well. Well, it's absolutely charming, and I and I, uh, you know, I could just happily stroll through for ages. Um, so many congratulations, Karen, and keep up the good work. And um, and it's just really, it's really lovely because it's it's it looks so sort of attainable. Do you uh, you know? Do you know what I mean? It's 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 kind yeah. of it looks like something that you know oh yes that you know that's nice and that and it just um and it feels very homely and kind of friend there's a friendliness to it um which I think is a really nice touch it just feels almost like you're buying from a friend because you're buying things that you could really sort of see in your own home 
I think that was also part of this styling technique that I wanted to use as well, because I'm so used to styling room sets. Um, I'm so used to being given a sofa or some bedding and then creating a room around that one product for a client. That that's how I wanted to style these products that I'm buying. I wanted them to look like you could imagine them in your own home, that they had some sort of purpose as well as just being decorative. You know, also, I'm not an antique dealer. I, I am an antique dealer, but I'm not an antique expert. I just literally buy with my eye. So I think everything is quite attainable because the price point is quite realistic because I'm no expert. I just literally buy something because I love it and keep the price as, as close to what I think it's worth as possible so that people can have these things in the home. You know, I don't want them to be like museum relics that are just so unattainable, you know, that they're just lovely to look at, but you couldn't possibly ever afford it. I want people to go, I love that and I can afford it and I'm going to have it. And then it brings joy, joy to somebody, doesn't it? And, and I can got- buy more products. Yeah. <laughs> And actually looking at your followers, you've got some good in, you've got some good interior designers following you. Anyway, it's an absolute delight to talk to you, Karen. Thank you so much for your time. And um, I'm looking forward to going on your site when my house is finally ready and buying a few little bits and bobs to put um, to decorate with. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Carol, for inviting me on. Thank you for joining me today. You can hear more house guests on British Airways in-flight entertainment in the audio section, along with our sister podcast, Breakout Culture, with Lord Ed Vasey and Charlotte Metcalf. You can follow me on Instagram at Carol W. Annett.